Well, if you got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 this morning. Daniel chapter 1. There are some today who say that America is a Christian nation. There are others that say that America used to be a Christian nation. Now, what people mean when they say that is that there either was a point in time or America still is guided and directed by Christian values, the kind of values that is found in God's Word. But I think that we should put that statement to the test and see whether that is true or not and to see whether it has ever been true. For instance, a British ship left Britain in 1562 and and headed to Sierra Leone, Africa. The captain of that ship was John Hawkins. and, And when he landed on the coast, he abducted 300 Africans. He loaded them on the ship and he brought them back to North America as slaves. John Hawkins said that his crew was to serve God daily. They were to love one another. The name of the ship was the good ship Jesus. Now the ship had a good name. The captain had some good advice to the crew. And yet they were taking people and putting them into slavery. Does that sound like a Christian nation? Let's fast forward about 200 years There were some great men sitting around a desk and they were pinning the Declaration of Independence. One of the greatest declarations that has ever been written. And one of the things that those men said were this. All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Now I think we would all agree that that is a Christian value, isn't it? That speaks of the Imago Dei, the idea that that man, all mankind, is created in the image and the likeness of God. And because of that, mankind is to be equal. And yet, the men who were gathered together pinning this document on slaves. They had slaves that filled the ink of the pens that they used to write this document. Does that sound like a Christian nation? Let's fast forward another 200 years. The year is 1973. We're still claiming to be a Christian nation. And the Supreme Court, the highest court in our land, legalizes abortion. The right to kill unborn babies. Does that sound like a Christian nation? Let's fast forward another 40 years. The year is 2015 and this same Supreme Court, same court, different men, determined that they are going to legalize same-sex marriage. And because of that, same-sex marriage is now legal and celebrated in America even though the Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. Does that sound like a Christian nation? Would a truly Christian nation operate by principles and by values that the Word of God never teaches? Would a Christian nation promote the murder of unborn children? Would a Christian nation promote holding other people in slavery? Would a Christian nation celebrate and legalize same-sex marriage? 
Would a Christian nation hold up as heroes those who have the most sexual partners, the brutal, the greedy, the self-absorbed? You see, the truth is, America is not today, and America has never been a Christian nation. We are Christians living in a pagan land, much like the Jews were in the 6th century when they were living in Babylon, and much like the early church was in the 1st century when they were living under the Roman Empire. Now let me give you a little bit of background, if I can, this morning as we begin. Last week, as we opened up God's Word, we looked at a letter. A letter that Jeremiah penned to those who were in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah was a prophet who was in Jerusalem, and he was writing this letter to those who were in exile in Babylon. And in that letter, he shared with them some things that they needed to do as they were in exile. He told them to enjoy life. He said, build homes, plant vineyards, get married, have children, tell your children to have children. In in other words, don't give up, don't give in, enjoy life, make the best of a bad situation. He he said that we are to work to make the city, the, the place that we live, better. He said that we are to pray uh, for the good, the prosperity, the peace of the land in which we live. He said that we are to watch out for false prophets. And he said we're to never forget the promise that he gave. That he had a future for us. A good future. Plans for hope. Plans for peace. That's what we learned last week. But today I want us to look at Daniel and And I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Last week we discovered that God gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory over Judah. And and as he did, he took some of the sacred objects out of the temple and, and he took them back to Babylon and he put them in the pagan temples. But he not only took sacred objects out of the temple, we are told that he took some of the young men from the royal family and he took some of the the young men from the noble families in Jerusalem. And among those young men who were taken were four young men, young boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and and Azariah. Now go back to verse 1. We are told that this was during the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim had been king for three years. Jehoiakim became king three months after the death of Josiah. Josiah was one of the most godly kings in Judah's history. The Bible says that he did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He was much like his ancestor David. We are told that he did not turn away from the Lord, but he did what was right. During Josiah's reign, the the temple was Repaired during Josiah's reign, the law was rediscovered. And when Josiah discovered the law and he had the law read to him, the Bible says that he literally tore his clothes because he was overwhelmed with grief because he and the people had not been following the law of God. And so as we read the Bible, we discover that Josiah had all of the people gather at the temple And he had the entire law of God read to the people. Then Josiah and all of the people made a commitment 
that they were going to follow the law of the Lord. And because of that, they, they turned from their pagan worship. They, they burned all of those things that had been used in pagan worship. They got rid of their pagan priests and their pagan altars. And they began to worship again at the temple of God. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, we read this about Josiah. It says, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying the law of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since. Now, the reason this is important is because of this. Daniel and his three friends were being raised during the time of Josiah. They were children during this great revival that was taking place under Josiah's reign. Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah all had the benefit of godly families and, and being a part of a godly nation. They were not only taught what it meant to obey God's word, they saw what it meant to obey God's word. And this, this prepared them for when they were going to be in exile. Now listen very closely. That is why it is so important for those of us who were parents to teach and to model what it means to be committed to Christ. Because if we don't, our kids are going to grow up, they're going to be sent out into a pagan land, and they are not going to be ready. And that is why it is so important for us as a church to invest in our children from preschool to high school. Because one day, someday soon, those kids are going to be sent off into exile away from you, away from the values that you taught them. And if you haven't prepared them, when they're sent off in Babylon, they're going to be eaten alive. You need to understand the most important thing that you can give to your children is not athletic or academic or social success. The most important thing that you can give to your children is spiritual success. You see, it's vital. It's vital that we lay a foundation for our children if we want them to survive while they live in exile. George Barna, one of the world's leading statisticians, said in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, moral foundations of children are generally determined by the time the individual reaches age nine. He went on to say, our research confirms a parallel outcome in the spiritual dimension. By the age of nine, most children have their spiritual moorings in place. More than half the people who accept Christ do so before age 12. Did you hear that? More than half the people who accept Jesus do so before age 12. By the age of 13, the majority of people have formed their beliefs about the nature of God, the existence of Satan, the reliability of the Bible, among other things. That's why it's so vital, like, like Josiah of old, we both teach and model what it means to turn to the Lord with all our heart and soul and strength. Because if we don't, we're going to find that when our children are sent into Babylon in exile, they're going to become just like the Babylonians. And you see, that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. 
Whenever he would take people into exile, his desire was to turn them into Babylonians. He wanted them to maintain their Jewish identity, and yet he wanted them to do that while they were living and looking and acting and believing like Babylonians. And so notice what Nebuchadnezzar did. He took these young men who were 14, 15 years of age, and he gave them a Babylonian education. He, he taught them in, in, in the things of, of Babylonian history. He, he taught them how the Babylonians worship, how the Babylonians think, how the Babylonians study, how, what the Babylonians believe. He taught them all the things of the Babylonians. And then he gave them new names. He, he took their Hebrew names and replaced them with Babylonian names. Now, the Hebrew names that, that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah had all reminded them of who God was. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is like the Lord. And Azariah means the Lord has helped me. But Nebuchadnezzar came in and he took those names from them. He stripped them of those names and he gave them Babylonian names. Now, there's disagreement over exactly what their new names meant. But where there is no disagreement is this. Each of those new names pointed to Babylonian pagan deities. And so they were stripping them of their belief in this monotheistic God who is the God of heaven and earth. And they was trying to replace it with this pagan belief that there are many gods. You see, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing is he was stripping them of their Hebrew worldview and he was replacing it with a biblical worldview. Now, it's important for us to know that, that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah didn't put up a fight against this. Sent them to the Babylonian schools and, and they did not argue. I, I, I tend to think that in their minds they were thinking, there's nothing wrong with this. Moses was trained in the Egyptian schools. Joseph was trained in the Egyptian schools. There's, there's nothing in God's word that says we cannot be schooled in pagan schools. And the truth of the matter is, if we learn the pagan culture, if we learn the pagan literature, if we learn the pagan sciences, we will be better prepared to reach the pagans we want to reach. And so they didn't argue. When they changed their names, they did not argue. Why? Well, because a name is just a name. A, a name isn't stripping them of their, their identity. It's not stripping them of who they are. And, and after all, Joseph was given a new name, which was celebrating a pagan deity. And yet Joseph didn't seem to mind that. But when they were commanded to eat the king's meat, and when they were commanded to drink the king's wine, that's where they drew the line. And what I want us to see from this and the verses that follow are four things that should be different in our life that will help us make a difference as we live in Babylon. Now, here's the first thing. We live by a different standard. 
Even though we live in a pagan land, in a pagan culture, the Bible says we are to live by a different standard. Look at verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, why is that such a big deal? When the education wasn't, when the name change wasn't. The reason this was a big deal is because this was a biblical issue. You see, we draw the line where God's Word draws the line. Now, for us, this wouldn't be an issue. But for the Jew, God said, I want you to be separate and distinct from the people of the world by what you eat. And there were certain foods that they could eat, and there were certain foods that they could not eat. And when we read the book of Leviticus, we discover that God even told them specific ways to prepare their food. For instance, we're told that they could not eat pork, they could not eat shellfish, they could not eat the fat of meat, they could not eat their, their, their food medium rare because it could not have any blood in it. And so for the Jew. Them eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine was in direct violation to the word of God. To eat the king's meat, to drink the king's wine, they would be defiling themselves. They would be breaking God's law. They would be breaking God's word. And so they refused. You you see, when we live in exile, we need to be careful to always set our standards by God's word. Because sometimes I've discovered that there are Christians that set their standard by other things. Let's be honest. Sometimes we set our standards by what we've always been taught, don't we? And yet when we look at God's Word, we we find no rhyme or reason to back up what we believe. And we as Baptists, and understand I'm Baptist to the core, I'm Baptist born, I'm Baptist bred, I will be Baptist until I'm dead. But we as Baptists, we're some of the worst at this. I mean, we make issues at times of things that just really shouldn't be issues. We take stands on things that God's Word doesn't clearly take a stand on. And Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and and, and Azariah, they didn't do that. When it wasn't something that was clearly defined in God's Word, they didn't deal with it. But when they were told to defile themselves by breaking God's word, they decided they could not do that. I want you to look what it says in verse 8. It says they resolved. The King James says they purposed in their heart. The Living Bible says they made up their mind. You see, decisions that become commitments are made with the mind and with the heart. Daniel and, and his friends made a commitment that they would not break God's law. Now, don't forget These guys were 14 or 15 years old. They were living in a pagan land, far from their families. The one who told them to eat this food was a king that could put them to death. And yet, these young men were committed to obey God's law. They were living by a different standard. Now, what about you? Are you willing to live by a different standard? What is found in God's word? Are you willing to say, I resolve not to do this? 
even though everyone else may do it, even though everyone else may approve, even though everyone else may think it's okay, I resolve not to do this because it clearly violates God's Word. They live by a different standard. Second, they responded with a different attitude. Uh, Look at the latter part of verse 8. And he, Daniel, asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, what's amazing is that, that Daniel was told by the authorities that he, he needed to do something that stood in complete opposition to his faith. He needed to leave his faith at the door. He needed to stop acting like a Jew, and he needed to start acting like a Babylonian. And, and his response is absolutely amazing. He doesn't respond in anger. He, he doesn't respond with righteous indignation, even though he could. He responds with kindness. He responds with what someone called convictional kindness. Now this is important. Because we see that Daniel is courageous. He stands his ground. And yet he is gracious. He seeks permission. He he doesn't lay aside his convictions. He, He doesn't neglect his standards that the Bible has called him to live by. But at the same time, he responds with kindness and respect. Daniel didn't go to the official and say, I refuse to follow your pagan ways. To hell with you. And to hell with your king. He didn't do that. He didn't organize a protest or start a riot. He does something that didn't make sense. He responds something like this. He says, listen guys, I understand that that the things that you want us to eat are okay in your culture, they're okay in your faith, but, but we have different standards, and we cannot do this. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference in the way that they responded. He was maintaining his convictions, and yet he was also showing kindness. Now, now how is that different from how the church so often responds to this kind of thing? Well, what we do is we organize boycotts. We get on social media and we absolute slam people. We do all kinds of things and that's part of our problem. You see, we expect people that don't know Jesus to act like Jesus tells us to act. And that's absolutely silly. That's foolish. We shouldn't expect people in Babylon to act like Jews. That's just foolish. And we shouldn't expect lost Americans to act like Christ followers. We shouldn't expect it. And that's our problem. We have this idea that that these people should live like us. And they're not going to live like us until they become like us. And they're never going to become like us until we treat them with kindness. We need to look at our attitude. I love what it says in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 about Jesus. It says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and he was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And the truth of the matter is, that's extremely hard for some of us. I got to tell you, by nature, I'm a fighter. I fight back. 
I mean, someone cuts me off in traffic, I get mad. I, 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 confession time. This morning coming to church, I wasn't cut off. Pulling out of my neighborhood and I pulled out in front of a car. Plenty of time in front, but this car was speeding. And, you know, it came up on me real quick. And I said, I tell you what, I'm going to hit my brake. I'm not going over the speed limit. I'm going under the speed limit. I'll show them. Now, truth of the matter is that's a little thing, but, but that's the kind of attitude we have, isn't it? And we can take that attitude and we can, we can multiply it exponentially when it comes to real issues that we are passionate about. Faith issues that, that are important to the core of who we are. And yet the Bible says that we need to respond with a different attitude. We're to have convictional kindness. That's what David had. Third, or Daniel, third, we trust in a different God. Look at verses 12 through 15. So, so Daniel says to the officials who are afraid to do what he says. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and drink your ser- or, or treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this, tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now, when Daniel asked permission not to eat the meat or drink the wine of the king, even though the officials were afraid, out of respect for Daniel, they took up this test. And so for 10 days, Daniel said, all we're going to do is eat vegetables and drink water. And and if we don't look better, we're going to eat your pork ribs and ribeyes. And the official said, okay, we'll try this. And so for 10 days, all they did was, was a juice cleanse with water. And yet, after 10 days, the Bible says they looked healthier and better nourished than those who were eating the king's food. In the original translation of the Hebrew, it says they looked fatter in the flesh. And let me tell you what that means. You see, in this culture, thin was not in. Because if you were real thin, that showed you were poor and you didn't have the money to buy good food. And so they wanted to have a little bit of meat on your bones. And so here they were eating vegetables and drinking water. And everyone else was eating pork ribs and ribeyes and tenderloin and fried chicken and all of this stuff. And yet at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked fatter in the flesh than everyone else. You see, some people take this this 10-day Daniel thing and they say, oh, this is a diet we need to follow. This is biblical. I, I for one, am glad we're under a new covenant, amen? (laughs) I love me some shellfish and barbecue. I'm glad it's kosher for believers. (laughs) And, And yet after 10 days, they looked healthier than those who were eating All of this 
rich food. You see, this wasn't a diet plan. This, this wasn't some plan to get healthy because the truth of the matter is in 10 days you're not going to be able to tell anything. This was a matter of trust. Amen. Daniel was saying, you put my God to a test for 10 days. Amen. And see if we're obedient to God, if God will not bless us. Amen. And after 10 days, they were blessed. You see, they were saying, we trust in a different God. Now, we see this again in chapter 2, and we don't have a lot of time to go into detail, but in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And you need to understand, this is still in this three-year training period. Some people believe that chapter 2 occurs much later, but no, this is during this three-year period. Daniel and his friends are still in training, and, and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that horrifies him. And so he goes to all of his wise men, his magicians, his sorcerers, his enchanters, and he says, I want you to tell me my dream and then interpret my dream. And the men say, well, tell us your dream and then we'll interpret it. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, if you really can interpret my dream, you can tell me my dream. And they said, no one but God himself can do that. That's what they said. And Nebuchadnezzar got angry, and he decided that every one of these wise men would be put to death. Now, that included Daniel and now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they came to prepare them to be put to death, and Daniel said, hold, time out, what's going on? Because, you see, they were still in training. They knew nothing about this, and the officials said, well, the king had a dream, and nobody could interpret the dream, and kings ticked off, and so we're going to kill all of y'all. And Daniel said, well, let me see the king. And Daniel went to the king. And he said, hey, just give me a little more time and I'll tell you your dream. And so notice what it says here in chapter 2, verse 47. It says, the king said to Daniel, sure, no, I skipped ahead. Chapter 2, verse 18. Daniel went to his friends and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so here he is and he says, okay guys, we need to pray. And the Bible says that while they were in prayer that night, God revealed to him the mystery. You see, when you trust in a different God, God will see you through. Now, let me ask you a question. In this pagan land that we live, this land that is like Babylon today, how do you handle the difficulties of life? How do you handle the challenges of life? Do you handle it by going to God, or do you handle it the same way that the pagans do, with fear and fret and worry? You see, if we really do trust in a different God, we're going to discover that we handle the problems of life different than the people of this world. So they lived by a different standard. They responded with a different attitude. They trusted in a different God. And then finally, they offered a different answer. So Daniel's friends prayed that night. God gave them an answer. Notice what Daniel said to the king in, in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 2. It says, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You, you see... When God gave him this dream, he didn't come before the king and said, Almighty king, I can tell you your dream. 
He said, no one can tell you your dream. But there is a God. Not like your God's. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal the mysteries of life. And you know the story if you read Daniel chapter 2. Daniel tells the king his dream. And then he interprets the dream to the king. And notice what it says in verse 47 of chapter 2. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Listen, the gods of this world are never going to be able to answer the questions of life. The gods of this world are never going to give us a purpose worth dying for. But there is a God in heaven that will reveal to you why you are here. What your purpose is. What his plan for you is. And even Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, was beginning to realize this. Now this wasn't when Nebuchadnezzar got saved. But he was on his way. Here was a pagan king living in a pagan land. Leading his people into pagan practices. And now, because of a teenage boy who lived by a different standard, who responded with a different attitude, who, 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 had a, um, who trusted in a different God and who gave a different answer. This king was now able to say, your God is different than the other gods. You see, that's how we make a difference in this world. We don't make a difference in this world by boycotts and by protests. We, we don't make a difference in this world by, by getting on social media and criticizing people and slamming people. We make a difference in the world by humbly living by God's Word. Responding with convictional kindness to people who may not love us and who may even hate us. Trusting in a God that is different than the God of this world. And giving the people of this world a different answer. A dancer that isn't isn't wrapped up in the things of this world. You see, because Daniel lived differently, he was able to make a difference. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verses 18 and 20. It says, at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them in. This is at the end of... The three years, so chapters 1 and 2 are all over now. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. They were willing to be different so that they could make a difference. And what did God do? God put them in a position where they could make a difference. You see, we don't have to live by the standard of the world to to have the opportunity to make a difference. Quite the opposite is true. We need to live by a different standard. We don't have to stand in opposition and defiance. To the world, no. As we live differently, we respond with convictional kindness. 
We trust in God. And we give answers found in God's word. And as we do, God will give us the opportunity to make a difference. By the way, by the way, there's a verse in here, chapter 2, that's very important for us come November the 8th. Listen to what it says in in verses 20 and 21 of Daniel 2. Daniel said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. Listen to what it says. He controls the course of world events. Who does? God. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Who does? God does. He removes kings. He sets up other kings. Let me tell you, God's in control. God's on his throne. We need to pray. And we need to to exercise our right to vote. But listen, come November the 9th, God's on his throne. And regardless of who wins, because I'm not sure it matters anymore who wins. Regardless of who wins, God is on his throne. And we are to live differently so that we can make a difference. And so the question is, the question is, do you know him? Because you're never going to live differently. You're never going to resolve not to defile yourself. You're never going to make up your mind and purpose in your heart to stand up and be willing to die with love and respect. Unless God's transformed your life. It's how Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were able to do this because God had changed them. Praise God for a godly king. Praise God for good parents who prepared them because here they were thrust into Babylon making a difference. And you're in Babylon. I'm in Babylon. And we've got a choice. Are we going to live like Babylonians Or we're going to live as Christ followers in Babylon so that we can make a difference. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. I want to first of all ask you this question. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus? That's important. If you haven't done that, there's nothing more important. And right now, and I believe with all my heart, if you haven't done that, The Holy Spirit right now may be pricking your heart, letting you know this is something you need to do. And so if you're here and you know you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Lord, I come to you today acknowledging my sin, acknowledging my rebellion. I'm tired of living this way. I know you love me. I believe you died on the cross for me. Your desire is to give me a new life. Right now, right here. Trust in you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Come into my heart. Take control. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, if your head's still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, but you're not 
being different so that you can make a difference in the day. You know that you need to live by a different standard. You need to respond with a different attitude than you've been responding. You need to trust in a different God. And you need to give the people of the world a different answer. Today you're going to make the commitment to do that. I encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear Lord, today I'm surrendering all to you. I want you to use me. I want to make a difference. Help me to live by your word. Help me to be gracious and kind, submissive, even to those I disagree with. Help me to trust you even when things look bad. Help me to let people know there is a different answer to what this world offers. Amen.